2: Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. One of the complaints Tolkien gets in his writing, and has for years, for decades now, is that The way that he writes is too dense and he includes too much information that doesn't really matter in the telling of the story. He got this complaint with the Lord of the Rings, especially because unlike many of the other authors of his time, he spent more time talking about the time of the year it was or what the trees were on the side of the road and all those little details but they matter. Or at least they mattered to him. They made a difference in the story. They created a sense of not only the world and it feeling like it was a real place, but oftentimes there was symbolism hidden in those details. And I can totally see and totally understand because I came from this perspective as well. That, that can be difficult and daunting, especially to a new reader who doesn't understand where Tolkien is coming from, what influences he's coming from, what kind of literature he's actually trying to write. It takes a bit to get to the point where you appreciate those details, because sometimes the story isn't just pushing the main plot forward, it's filling in the details about the meta plot the rest of what's going on in the history of everything and seeing the protagonist as just one small piece of a much larger story that's what tolkien has been doing in all of his stories from the beginning bilbo baggins is the protagonist of the hobbit but when you zoom out he's just a small piece of a much larger tale you could say that for any of the protagonists in these stories. The main protagonist, the main story, is the story of Ea. The story of the world. The Valar. The children. And their fight against evil. And really the theme of just finding out who they are and what they should be doing Questions of what makes a good life? How do you deal with the problem of evil? What do you do when the world is dark and unfair? This is the story. And I keep getting glimpses of this and examples as I read through these stories again, as we went through the Silmarillion, as we're now going through the Unfinished Tales. There's so many little details here, and they are all so important. So that's my little rant at the beginning because I'm having a hard time not reading every single word and that would be a copyright problem but I'm going to read a lot of the words on this episode because they are so good and so important so thanks for joining me again let's get into the next part of tour's story When we left off last time, Tour came across some items, some artifacts that appear to have been left here strangely, high-quality weapons and armor, this sort of thing from the elves, the Noldor, the very elves which have seemingly vanished from the face of the continent, but yet Tour still knows are out there somewhere, and he's been yearning, and that's a strange word, but That's, I think, a good descriptor, yearning to find them. And in this episode, we're going to get some clarity on that. But first, let's get a little bit more detail about these items that he found. It says here, The hauberk shone as it were wrought of silver untarnished, and the sunbeam gilded it with sparks of gold. Silver and gold like the Two Trees of Valinor. And we're going to come across a few different words in this episode that are definitely archaic by our own standards. So the first of these is hauberk. This is a piece of equipment that originally started out as a neck and shoulder covering, which eventually extended to the entire upper body cover in a piece of armor. Something that you would wear over... The top half, and, and sometimes would hang down actually over your legs a little bit. This is the main piece of armor that you would put on to protect yourself. It shone silver and gold. And then it goes on and says But the shield was of a strange shape to Tours' eyes, for it was long and tapering, and its field was blue, and in the midst of which was wrought an emblem. Of, and get this, a white swan's wing. The seven birds that led him to this place were swans. And if you recall from the Silmarillion, when we dug into some of the details about Gondolin, there were these different groups with their different symbols. This one has the swan's wing on it. Now, if you recall from those episodes, Tour founds the House of the Wing, these were the different houses. So if that's the case, then this isn't the remnant of a house that already existed that he's finding. This is an item and the only item at this point with a swan's wing on it, which he then uses to found the house of the wing, which represents the Adine, the men and the people in the service of Tour once he takes up residence in Gondolin. Strange. It's like a chicken and an egg thing. Why did this have a wing on it if there wasn't already a house that was part of this court that would have had that symbol already? I'm not sure this is actually answered, and I don't know if this is like a loophole or something in the lore, but it is interesting. Then we get this this line here, and as you've probably noticed in this version of Tour's story, when characters speak, it feels a lot more like old myths and old, old English stories where the character is saying something more for the benefit of the audience than it would make sense in the context of the situation. We get this line with a really interesting intro to him speaking. Then tour spoke and his voice rang as a challenge in the roof. Interesting. By this token, I will take these arms unto myself and upon myself whatsoever doom they bear. And he lifted down the shield and found it light and wieldy. And it goes on and it turns out that this is a shield like many others made with wood, with metal slats and things on top of it. But because it was Elven made, it was stronger and yet lighter than he would have expected. This is something we find with elven craftsmanship all the time. Things are both stronger and lighter. And on top of it, it had been preserved from what it says here, worm and weather. Something about the way these elven smiths craft these items keeps them from corruption, or at least degradation. Then Tour puts on the hauberk. And he sets the helm upon his head. So now we have a picture of him in a helm, a hauberk covering his torso and the shield. And he girt himself with the sword. Black were sheath and belt with clasps of silver. Can you imagine that contrast? Very striking. Thus armed, he went forth from Turgan's hall and stood upon the high terraces of Terrace in the red light of the sun. None were there to see him as he gazed westward, gleaming in gold and silver. And he knew not that in that hour he appeared as one of the mighty of the West and fit to be the father of the king of the kings of men beyond the sea, as it was indeed his doom to be. Let me read that again, because that is really interesting. He looks like one of the mighty of the West. He is equipped and girded in weapons and armor that were designed for only the greatest heroes. And then we are told again, like Tolkien does all the time about something that we wouldn't know yet. But here it is. He's fit to be the father of the kings of the kings of men beyond the sea as it was indeed his doom to be. We are told right here in this passage that Tour is one of the most important individuals in the history of all of these stories. His descendants will be the kings of the kings of men. And we know that to be true. We've gone over the lineages and things in previous episodes about how Tur and the pairing of Tur and Idril leads to Arendil, and then the descendants that become the kings of Numenor and eventually Gondor and Arnor. He doesn't know it yet. But that is his doom. And then we get... I mean I guess it would be funny to say a grinch moment which at first you're going to be like what how does that make any sense get this line right here but in the taking of those arms a change came upon tour son of hoor and his heart grew great within him makes me think of the grinch and as he stepped down from the doors the swans did him reverence and get this this is another one of those things that feels like it's straight out of an old mythology Each swan plucks a great feather from their wings and they give them to him. And the way they describe it, it actually looks like somebody bowing to a high lord and presenting a gift or something like that. So he takes all of these feathers, all seven of them, and he sets them in the crest of his helm. And straight away, the swans arose and flew north in the sunset And tour saw them no more. So that wraps up the whole swan part of the story. But now we have an image of him standing there in his armor with a sword and feathers in his helmet. And I can't imagine exactly how these stick out, how he would have set them up. But I imagine they kind of fan backwards from the front of the helmet. I don't know. Let me know what you think about how that actually works. So the swans fly away. He doesn't have anything else guiding him at this point. And the sun, we know, is starting to get low in the sky. Tour decides to head down the long stairs. Then he heads out to the shore to look out to the west across the sea like he has so many times so far. But this time it's different. There's something strange about the sky... We're told that the sun was like a smoky fire behind the menace of the sky. Notice the word menace, the menace of the sky. This is putting us in the perspective of him as a character and the feeling he would have when looking upon such a dark and ominous sight. This also hints to us, the readers, that what he's experiencing right here is supernatural. In these fairy tale type stories, as Tolkien would call them, those things that are supernatural oftentimes to mortal men appear ominous or confusing or terrifying at first because they don't understand them. They don't understand the context for them. And in normal situations, a darkening, ominous looking sky could mean a thunderstorm, something dangerous, something that you would want to avoid or something more terrible than that in the natural world. So oftentimes when the supernatural impedes into the mortal world, it comes across as terrifying, as dangerous. And oftentimes even the good characters, especially the good characters, find the signs of the supernatural to be disconcerting. But then we learn that it's not just the sky. It seems to him that a great wave of, rose far off and rolled toward the land. Now, I mentioned that supernatural events can be scary, but they often also give the viewer a sense of wonder. And that's what happens here. Wonder held him, and he remained there unmoved. And the wave came toward him, and upon it lay a mist of shadow. Then suddenly... As it drew near, it curled and broke and rushed forward in long arms of foam. But where it had broken, there stood dark against the rising storm, a living shape of great height and majesty." Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it.
0: You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte.
2: All right. Welcome to 2024. Holy moly. It's 2024. We're still doing the show. Thanks to our patrons, patreon.com slash L O T R Lorecast. If you want to check out all the cool stuff, you can get over there for helping to support the show. And I have to shout out some of our newest members, which include, uh, Mark M. I'm not sure if I called you out last time. It's been a little while. J. eggs, uh, Andy L lore FC, Ted O. Gimli, a break. (laughs) I get it. And Courtney K, Welcome to the Patreon, everybody. I'm so glad that you are here. Thank you for signing up and supporting the show and keeping it going in 2024. Also, I have to read out all of our VIP patrons. So here we go see how fast I can get through this. AK music lover, Anakin S that stands for Skywalker. That's not actually a real name, although it sort of is, but it isn't. Uh, Apollo, Aragorn, the third Austin, C Azel razzle Barney D Bo, black squirrel, Brandy D Chewbacca cutter metal works, Darth Feanor, David S David M Drupal, esoteric rage, fulcrum, Gimli, a break, Gemma D Jesse P J eggs, geezer, uh, J O B. Kate L, Katie S, Capenna 009, Lore FC, Lori B, Nick K, Nostrils of Sauron, Obi Wan Kenobi, Peace Lutheran Church, Sam B, Sauron for Life, Seiju, Swiggy Swoo, and TJT. Thank you so much for all of your support and to all of our, let's see, 180? Is that real? 180 supporters on Patreon? Thank you so much. I couldn't do the show without you. Also, we got a new review in this one comes from Apple Podcasts uh, from somebody in the United States, which which just a reminder, if you leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts, I'll read it on a future episode of the show. This comes from Falsey 8910 who writes, great podcast, super informative, fun to listen to. I'm only about six episodes in, but this has been an awesome dive into the world of LOTR. The narrator is informed and presents the information in a way that's super engaging. I've been listening while running, which has made exercising much more enjoyable. Between this and the Fantasy Hike app, I'll probably be in amazing shape pretty soon. Well, good work. I need to get back out there and do more exercise. I've been very lazy during the holidays. I probably need to do some healthy things. Uh, Thank you for the reminder on that and for the five-star review. Also, thank you to those of you who are rating the show on Spotify and whatever other platforms you're listening to this on, sharing it with your friends in the new year, all of that. Thank you so very much. All right, let's move on with the rest of the episode. So this mighty being comes out of water. And of course, if you've listened through the Silmarillion version of the tale, we know this is Ulmo himself presenting himself directly to tour. And in this version, we find out more about him in detail than we got in the Silmarillion. Tour bows to him immediately, realizing that he appears to be beholding some sort of mighty king of the ocean or something. He's not 100% sure, I don't think, in this situation, exactly who this is. And then we're given a description. A tall crown he wore like silver, from which his long hair fell down as foam glimmered in the dusk. And as he cast back the gray mantle that hung about him like a mist, behold... He was clad in a gleaming coat. This part is great because the behold has an exclamation mark after it. This feels like medieval writing. Behold, he was clad in a gleaming coat, close fitted as the male of mighty fish and in a kirtle of deep green that flashed and flickered with sea fire as he slowly strode towards the land. This Description is amazing. Uh, It makes me think of like Aquaman or something, but Aquaman was probably informed by descriptions like this and similar works with these kinds of sea kings or mighty lords or gods of the sea, this kind of thing. We also get the word kirtle here. This is our second word in our vocabulary lesson for the day. A kirtle is either a woman's gown or outer petticoat or a man's tunic or coat. So this is what he's wearing. And it looks like a close-fitting male similar to a mighty fish. So I would imagine scales are, are adorning the outfit that this king is wearing, like great armor. And then we are told that this is the Dweller of the Deep, in all caps, or whom the Noldor have named Ulmo, Lord of the Waters. And then it specifically says that he showed himself to Tur, son of Hur, of the house of Hador beneath Vinyamar. This is an official announcement of who this is and who he is greeting. Just like in procedures in a court where you would announce the individual, but then who they were son of and what their house was or what their kingdom was. This is an official meeting of the Lord of the waters and Tour son of Hur of the house of Hador beneath Vinyamar. Officially. And Ulmo is not particularly happy. He's not angry. He just feels like he hasn't been listened to. And he understands why that is. We're told that he doesn't actually step out of the sea. He stays with his feet in the water and addresses tour. With this light in his eyes, and his voice is as deep as the foundations of the world. That is a very Tolkien kind of descriptor, the foundations of the world. They use that phrase in the Lord of the Rings films. And Tour casts himself down upon the sand out of fear, almost says, "Arise, Tour, son of Hur, which shows Tour that he knows who he's addressing. Fear not my wrath, though long have I called to thee unheard and setting out. At last thou hast tarried on thy journey hither. Basically, I've been calling to you. Why are you dragging your feet? I'm giving you all of these signs. Move your butt. In the spring thou shouldest have been here. But now a fell winter cometh soon from the land of the enemy. Haste thou must learn, and the pleasant road that I designed for thee must be changed, for my counsels have been scorned, and a great evil creeps upon the valley of Sirion, and already a host of foes has come between in thy goal. Basically, you are taking way too long. This was planned out to be a lot easier, but the enemy is working against us. So, First of all, you need to hurry up. And secondly, I, th- I kind of get why you didn't understand my messaging, because I haven't been able to be very direct with you because I'm being held back. The work of Melkor is fighting against me and my connection to the peoples of this land. And we're given this really interesting conversation. What then is thy goal, Lord, said Tour. That which thy heart hath ever sought, answered Ulmo, to find Turgin, and look upon the hidden city, for thou art arrayed thus to be my messenger. Basically, I brought you here to put on this equipment, so that you would be taken seriously when you find them. Even in the arms which long ago decree for thee, yet now thou must under shadow pass through peril, Wrap thyself, therefore, in this cloak and cast it never aside until thou come to thy journey's end. Basically, I had made sure that the Noldor left this for you, but it's not enough anymore because you're late. So take this and wrap yourself in it. And he gives Tour a lapet, or at least it looks like a lapet. And this is going to be our third vocabulary word a lapet is a flap of cloth. And coming from Ulmo, it appears, as he's bringing it forth, that it looks like a simple little flap of cloth, but it is much bigger than that. When Tour finally takes it, it becomes a great cloak that he can wrap himself in, something to use to hide himself from the forces of the enemy. And in this writing, you can see reflections of the kinds of things we see in the lord of the rings a powerful individual a wise and powerful individual that is upset wroth, maybe even with the people around them not taking their signals advice whatever that feels a lot like gandalf talking to the people around him like Fools, you don't realize what danger you're in. You need to do this right now. Same kind of vibe you get here from Ulmo. Also, the idea of an item, what appears to be magical item that you can wrap yourself in that will hide you from the eyes of the enemy. The cloaks of Lothlorien seem like a good representation of that. Where might they have gotten that idea from? Maybe Galadriel saw things like this while she was in Valinor and could spend time interacting with the Valar themselves. And Omo wraps up this part of the conversation and says, Thou shall walk under my shadow, meaning you will be disguised by my powers, that sort of thing. And then he warns him that this will not endure the fires of Melkor. Like, this item will not keep you safe forever, but for a time it will be useful. And then asks him, Will you take up my errand? And Tur says, I will, Lord, immediately. Just responds, I will. And then Omo says, Then I will set words in thy mouth to say unto Turgan. I will give you the words themselves. But first I will teach thee, and some things thou shalt hear, which no man else hath heard. Nay, not even the mighty among the elder." And then Olmo explains to him, about Valinor, about the Noldorian exiles, and about the doom of Mandos and the hiding of the blessed realm. He gives him a history lesson here and lets him get an understanding of the world that he's in and why it is fallen. Why they struggle so much against Melkor and what is actually happening. Because information is important. And then we get this but behold he said in the armor of fate as the children of earth name it there is ever a rift and in the walls of doom a breach until the full making which ye call the end so it shall be while i endure a secret voice that gainsayeth and a light where darkness was decreed therefore Though in the days of this darkness I seem to oppose my will of my brethren, the lords of the west, this is my part among them, to which I was appointed ere the making of the world. In short, Olmo is explaining that although the rest of the Valar have agreed to stay back, that this is the doom of the world, that this is on the shoulders of the children of Iluvatar themselves to fix. My part, from before the making of the world, was to act secretly against that, against the will of the Valar, to stay separate. My job is to connect with the children. My job is to guide them when none of the other Valar will a really interesting perspective here, and an example of another one of those situations where the individual Valar themselves and their personalities and their dooms and destinies don't always align. And then we get this, which I'll leave you with. Yet doom is strong, and the shadow of the enemy lengthens, and I am diminished, until in Middle-earth I am become now no more than a secret whisper. An explanation, basically, for why it was so hard to hear his call to the sea. The waters that run westward wither, and their springs are poisoned, and my power withdraws from the land. This part right here is particularly interesting because the poisoning of the land and the water is not just to fight against the children. It's not just to to fight against elves and men from Melkor's side. It's also to weaken Olmo's connection to them. He's aware of this and does it intentionally. For elves and men grow blind and deaf to me because of the might of Melkor. And now the curse of Mandos hastens to its fulfillment. The curse of Mandos on the Noldor, on Feanor's children specifically. And all the works of the Noldor shall perish, and every hope which they build shall crumble. The last hope alone is left, the hope that they have not looked for and have not prepared. And that hope lieth in thee, for so I have chosen. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, The Elder Scrolls Lorecast, The Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots radio, or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes, or just search Robots Radio Discord, or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time.